Praise the Lord Amen. for everything. Uh, this morning we spoke about experiencing Pentecost. And we mentioned what Pentecost does to the believer. We made quite an impressive list. But now I want to add one, probably the most important of all. And that is that Pentecost, or the baptism of the Holy Spirit, prepares us for the marriage supper of the Lamb. In other words, establishes a nuptial relationship between you and I, you and myself as believers and our divine spouse, who is Jesus Christ our Lord. How many of you know that now we are related to Jesus, but only uh, in a betrothal? We are now, now only betrothed to the Lord. Amen? Like, like people who are, to, who are engaged, and they're waiting, they're, they're waiting for what? The wedding day. That's the way it is with us. We are the spouse of, of Jesus. And what's another word that we use in our Orthodox Church? We are the bride of Christ. And Christ is our what? Bridegroom. So, to make a long story short, the whole plan of God, our destiny, to put it very short and sweet, is the marriage supper of the Lamb. What are we getting ready for? For the wedding. What are we doing now? We're involved in a courtship between our future spouse and uh, ourselves. We are in a courtship. And what, what do people do in a courtship? Now, I can't tell you. I've got, never gotten married. But when you were courting your future spouses, you were talking to them how much you love them. Right? How much you love your husband, your future husband. How much you love your future wife. Well, that's what you and I are called upon to do. We are called upon the Lord to tell him how much we love him. And that we can't wait for the wedding day. Like you couldn't wait when you were engaged, you couldn't wait for the wedding day. So, not too many priests today make that a sermon topic, but the Lord makes that very vivid to me every day, that I need to love him and to tell Jesus, I love you. I love you, Jesus. You are my first love. I have not left my first love like it warns there in the book of the Revelation. Remember, how many of you remember the, wor the words, you have left your first love? Where was it? The church of Ephesus, I believe. So ask, we may have to ask ourselves, have you left your first love? I don't care what you do. You go to church, you take communions, you say your prayers. You have all the faith in the world. But even the demons believe and they tremble. But one thing the demons cannot do is what? Love. They have no capacity to love. 
So that's the way a lot of people are today in our churches. They have all the faith they can muster, all the reverence. You see them in church, they're very reverent. They make prostrations, they'll kiss the icons, they'll go through all the external religious motions. They believe as very few people believe. Even the demons believe, Jesus said, and they believe so much, what do they do? They tremble, tremun, like it says there. And so that kind of faith will not get us into heaven, will it? No. It will not bring us into the ultimate, permanent, everlasting union with Christ. What's our ultimate destiny? Everlasting union with Christ. To be with him forever. Forget about your earthly spouse for a while. Don't hang on him or her. Hang on your divine spouse. Both, both, both spouses should hang on to, to the future spouse. Because, uh, I repeat what I said earlier, uh, marital relationships are, are very, very, very uh, uh, transient. It's just for this, uh, this age to fulfill uh, God's plan for this age. But in the new age which is to come, we will be attending the marriage supper of the Lamb. We are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Blessed are they who are called. It says there in the book of the Revelation. But it takes love, nuptial love, to make it into the wedding chamber when we knock on the door someday. And uh, how are we going to be judged if we're worthy to enter into the wedding chamber? If we have a wedding garment, like it says in a lot of our hymnology in our church, it's how much we love Jesus. So the word love has to be part of our prayer vocabulary. In other words, when you speak to the Lord in your private prayers, make sure you use the word love, that you love him, you love Jesus. I love you, Lord. Many times I find myself saying, I love you, Lord, but I don't think I love you enough, Jesus. Forgive me. I want you to infuse more love in my heart for you. And who does that? Whose, whose job is it? Whose function is it to infuse love in our hearts? The Holy Spirit. You want to love Jesus more? You need more Holy Spirit. It's not Jesus that does it. It's the Holy Spirit. He's the matchmaker. He, he, he brings us together into the nuptial relationship. So look at Jesus as your future spouse. And it isn't enough to look forward to the wedding day. That's not it. But, but uh, two people who love one another really are not happy until what? The moment of consummation of the marital union. Consummation. You know what consummation means? I don't want to get into the, a detailed description of it. That's after the wedding party is over with. You're still not happy until the consummation. So that's the way it is with you and me and the Lord. We won't be happy until the consummation comes. When is that consummation? Well, 
He said, I go to prepare a place for you, so that where I am, you shall also be. But we need to, be, to bring this to a level of awareness where we live this nuptial relationship. And we put our husband and our wife in, the, in proper perspective and anybody else in our family. God is creating a new family. And we need to make sure that we love him. In fact, St. Simeon, we're going to read now from this text. You have the, in front of you, a copy of the text. Uh, his expressions of nuptial love. We may learn something from, from uh, he. Uh, Father, you have, uh, you have that? All right. Page uh, one here. Hymn 24, from the book, Hymns of Divine Love. Notice right off the bat there, look at this expression here. Grant me Christ to kiss your feet. Grant me to embrace your hands. So what kind of imagery are we facing here? Uh, physical imagery, symbolism. So Saint Simeon, when he was talking about being close to Jesus, he wasn't talking about a super spiritual relationship, but he was talking also about a physical relationship with Jesus. Very interesting. We tend to make, we over-spiritualize Jesus. These hands which created me by your word. These hands which brought forth everything without effort. Grant me to fill myself with these graces without being satisfied. Grant me to see your face, O Logos. And to enjoy your inexpressible, what? Beauty. What does the spouse say to the other spouse? How beautiful you are. So Simeon does not hesitate to say to Jesus, how beautiful you are, Jesus. How many of us say that in our prayers when we pray to Jesus? If we don't, then we don't know what it is to be in the presence of the beauty of his holiness, as it says there in the Psalms, in the beauty of his holiness. And then turn the page. Here, these are excerpts from the book called Hymns of Divine Love by St. Simeon. Uh, some, of our, uh, some of them are underlined. Down at the bottom of the page, 127, uh, he makes there a personal, a personal testimony, and part of it is his confession of his sins uh, down below. I don't know if it's necessary for us to read them right now, but it impressed me when I read them because he does not feel any hesitation in confessing his sins publicly and putting them down in writing too. He says, I've been a murderer, sodomite indeed in desire, 
I've been a fornicator, etc., etc., etc. Strong language there. Uh, very few of us would do that in public. Least of all an ordained priest, and he was an ordained priest. So it's not so much what you were, but what are you now? It's good to make the contrast. And then he talks about the Holy Spirit and, and under him 26. At the top there, I want to come down a few lines because of our limited time this afternoon. I can't, we cannot read everything. But right where, where, see where it says, yes, do not speak against us deceiving yourselves. Do not say that it is impossible to receive the divine spirit, because that's what the monks told him. His monks would always keep telling him that that's, you can't do that in our day and age. Do not say without him you can be saved. Do not say, therefore, that one can possess him without knowing it. In other words, that you can you claim, you make a religious claim, but you have no, no personal experience to back it up. Do not say that God is not able to be seen by men. Do not say that men do not see the divine light. Or that this is impossible in these present times. This is a thing never impossible, friends. But on the contrary, it is very possible to those who so wish, but only to those who lead a, a life purified of passions and have purified spiritual eyes. But for the others, there is actually a blindness, a mud of sins, and both here and there in the life to come, etc., etc. See his style of writing? He's very blunt. He's not a smooth talker. He's not eloquent, you know, literary, in a literary sense. But he hits the nail on the head, bang, bang, bang. That's St. Simeon when he writes in his writings. That's why we can call him prophetic, that he has a prophetic ministry. You know what a prophet does? A prophet isn't someone who foretells the future. A prophet is someone who declares God's counsels for the hour and reminds us of our disobedience and reminds God's chosen covenant people of the rebellion. And that's what we need, we need him in our day. Let's turn the page. Hymn 28. Now, this is how St. Simeon feels when he's alone in his solitude. Some people don't like to be alone. They, they always want the radio on or the TV. or They're afraid of quiet. Let me alone, locked in my cell. Leave me with God, the only lover of mankind. Philanthropos is the Greek word. Depart, go far away, let me be alone to die in the presence of God who has fashioned me. May no one knock on my door. May no one speak to me. May no one of my relatives or friends visit me. 
May no one in drawing my thought to himself distract me from the contemplation of the good and beautiful master. May no one give me food, no one offer me drink, for it will be for me sufficient to die before my God. The merciful God, the God who loves mankind, philanthropus, before him who has descended to earth to call sinners and with him to lead them to divine life. Then a few lines down, for I see my master, I see my king, I see him who is truly a light and the creator of all light. You see, this is a, a little a indication of, his, of the intimacy Saint Simeon had with Jesus. He uses the word see, not believe. Today we, it's always what? Believe, believe, believe. But how many of us say, I see Christ, I've seen him? Few, if ever, anybody. For I see my master, I see my king. So he, he was always concerned about being intimately related to Jesus. And his words are intimate words, his descriptive words. And then further down, leave me, I grow, I groan and, and I weep over the days and nights that I have lost in looking at this world. In other words, the time he lost by being in sin, he's going back and mourning over that. Isn't that something? I call that real inner sensitivity. In looking at this sun and seeing the light of this world, etc., etc., it does not illumine the soul. Those who are blind with no eyes living in the world after they have left the world will be like those who now see. And I was as though I were an atheist, since I did not know my God. And so on. And then the next page. Let's read the underlined section there. Oh, but first, O King of all, shine brilliantly again in me. Indwell and illuminate my lowly soul. Show me distinctly the countenance of your divinity and invisibly show yourself entirely to me, O oh my God. For you are not at all seen by me, yet you entirely appear to me, and so on. Give me yourself in this way now so that I may be filled with you, with you. that I may kiss you profoundly, and I may be engulfed by your unspeakable glory, the light of your face. Turn the page. So these are little samplings we're taking of uh, some of the writings of Saint Simeon, just to pick up uh, his style and how he communicated with the Lord. What was his prayer vocabulary? Now in this section, he gets very prophetic. It's not so much a communion with the Lord, but he's talking about the condition in the church of his day. And the language is very harsh here. You might, you might say, I can't believe it. 
a man of his gentleness and he's using such harsh language it's incredible well that's the way it is a lot of people who have a prophetic calling can be very gentle people in the natural and here he's taking to task some of the those in high ranks in the church and right in the middle there of the page all you men kings and potentates priests bishops monks and married laity do not disdain to hear my voice and my words that come from a miserable man so see how he intertwines the humble with the uh, prophetic but open the ears of your heart to me and hear and understand what the what God of all is saying now here he's speaking with authority and he's uh, very demanding that everyone listen to him see how he goes from one to another first he calls himself a miserable man and then he wants everyone to listen to him that he's speaking in the name of Jesus. Very interesting. This is characteristic of the prophetic figure, of the man who has a calling, prophetic calling. He's both humble, self-effacing, and yet on the other hand, he's self, he, he asserts his authority. And then, then underlined there, you see the word kings, in other words, emperors. Uh, the emperor was the emperor of Constantinople of the Roman Empire. He was the highest official. I mean, who would ever dare to talk about him and touch him and speak critically about the emperor? I mean, you could lose your head. And yet, he felt he had a calling even to confront the emperor in the name of Christ. And you know, actually, are you ready for this? The Byzantine emperors had a great respect for these kind of men. If it was an ordinary guy, I mean, he would lose his head instantly. But when, he was a, when a monk would come from the desert and challenge the emperor, the emperor would cringe. It was the mindset of that day. They respect, they had, they feared God, basically the emperors. They had a fear of God, ultimate, ultimately, even though their life was corrupt. So, in other words, if I could use the expression, he got, he got away with it. Now listen to this, kings, you do well in waging war against the pagans provided that you yourselves do not imitate the works of them and their customs and their desires and their opinions. And through all of your undertakings and your words, you do, you do not deny me your, your king. It would be much better for you to observe my words, keep exactly all my commandments and follow closely the life of a simple person living in poverty, which I declared as blessed. For what profit is there in rescuing the world from death in temporary servitude, and yet you become yourselves slaves, both of passions and of demons, each day by your works, and heirs of inextinguishable fire. That means hell. 
Those are pretty daring words to tell the emperor, isn't it? In other words, the emperor were they were fighting the barbarians. Remember back then, that at that time, the Middle Ages, and they would subdue the barbarians and bring them in chains back uh, to Constantinople, and, and yet. Uh, Saint Simeon is telling the emperor, well, what good is that when you're following the barbarian uh, morals and you're becoming slaves yourself, you're setting free, you're, 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 in, you're capturing them and yet you're making yourself a captive of your own passions. And then further down, he he addresses the bishops. He takes them to task. And he says, and now you bishops understand. Uh-oh, see what's coming up here now. You are the imprint of my image. You have been given a charge to communicate with me worthily. You have been placed over all the righteous since you follow in the name of my disciples and you hear my divine character. Etc. Etc. He tells them, in other words, he reminds them of their calling. Let me go further down. I have to omit here. For this reason, you bishops look down upon all the least as lowly and completely inferior. You bishops who fail in your worthy calling. I'm not referring to those whose life corresponds with their preaching and is a seal of their divinely inspired teaching and divine eloquence but those whose life contradicts their preaching and who remain ignorant of my awesome and divine mysteries and who think they hold in their hands bread instead of fire, who despise me as just simple bread and believe they gaze and eat a morsel without seeing my invisible glory. You bishops and those who are the majority, who exalt themselves even though they are debased by their wretched wickedness, they seek the glory of men while they turn their eyes from me, the creator of all, as from a poor man, a despised beggar. They unworthily handle my body and seek avidly to dominate the masses. They enter within my sanctuary, not having been called. They enter without the wedding garment, the banquet of my mysteries, without my grace, which they have not received. And they gaze on those things which it is not lawful to see, and I magnanimously put up with this in my very great love for mankind, philanthropia. I support their shameful boldness, etc., etc. Mm -hmm. They show themselves as familiar members of a family, those who have not known my grace. And then further down, they are seen to appear as brilliant and pure, but their souls are worse than mud and dirt, worse even than any kind of deadly poison, these evil and perverse men. So that's kind of pretty hard language, isn't it, for a gentle monk like Simeon. For it is like Judas of old who betrayed me by receiving unworthily bread from me, he ate it as though it were a piece of ordinary bread, and by this action Satan entered into him at once, etc., etc. Further down, 
touch um, such is what happens to them in their ignorance those who boldly and presumptuously touch unworthily my divine mysteries those who from their exalted thrones dominate all others those who dominate the clerics and the priests let's go down to the middle of the page who among us the priests of today has begun to purify himself of his iniquities as to be so completely audacious in exercising his priesthood who could say this with full confidence that he has despised the glory here below and acts as a priest solely for that, uh, that glory from above who has loved Christ and him alone and has scorned all golden riches who has made himself content with only the bare necessities and has not cheated in any matter his neighbor who does not have an accusing conscience because of the gifts pushed upon him to become a priest or to ordain other priests in buying or selling grace who has never judged as more preferable a friend over one more worthy in pushing his preference in spite of his unworthiness who does not strive to nominate as bishops his friends in order to receive in his possession all that will come to him for this is still considered as proper and as sinful in any way nay it is even judged as those providing for the good of another church who has never consecrated another bishop because of a request from those of the, of the world from rulers friends the rich and the powerful without the candidate being worthy really there is no one today who in these matters has a clean heart and who does not feel a disturbed conscience and so on then the next page in the same way therefore will it be for us priests and servants who spend on ourselves and relatives and friends the revenues of the churches without a care at all for the poor but we build houses, baths, monasteries, towers. We arrange dowries and weddings while ignoring and even looking down on our own churches as though they were strangers. We also leave for long periods and pass that time in another region while we forsake the widows, our own spouses, by not having any care for them. And even if we persevere on their behalf and dwell with them, is not because we hold them in such love but only in order that we might live off of their revenues living in plenty and having a good time but who among us priests is concerned with the beauty of the soul of the spouse of christ show me one and i would be satisfied with him but woe to us at the turn of this millennium priests monks bishops and servants of christ because we have trodden upon the laws of our God and Savior as though they have absolutely no value. And if anyone appears little in the eyes of men, yet before God he is great as he is known to him, who not condescending to our passions is at once cast out as some sort of a criminal and is chased by us out of the, our midst and he is excluded from the synagogue as, as once our Christ was by the high priests of that time and by the cruel Jews just as he himself said and always repeats the same 
in a voice resplendent with his marvels. And the next page, then he addresses himself to the monks. You monks who appear to be zealous, interiorly form yourselves in godliness and the exterior will always be, in my eyes, pure. Indeed, the exterior will be helpful for you and for those who see your good works. But for me, the interior is what I, the creator of the universe, desire as well as my spiritual and divine hierarchies. But if you adorn the exterior part of the stat statue, concerned only with its conduct, and you appear to act friendly to those who see you because of the works you do exteriorly, you do not consider at all that which is dear to me. So the Saint Simeon is putting words into God's mouth here. My image and its purification and its adornment by fervor and tears and labors. Saint Simeon does this often in his writings. He makes God say these things uh, like he's putting words of judgment in the mouth of God. It is by such means that you will appear to me and all others as men distinctly reasonable and divine. Otherwise you will be in my eyes like smelly smelly tombs, as once I branded the Pharisees in reproaching their stupidity. Outside radiant, inside full of decay, full of dead bones, all rotten, with a perverted heart, desires, words, passions, reflections, and with a calculated deceitfulness. For who of you has eagerly sought such, such things? I refer to fasting, mortifications, labors, Unconcerned for hair grooming, iron chains, coarse clothing, callous knees, sleeping on the bare earth, sleeping on a straw mat, and all such sufferings in this life. All of these are good if also the exercises of your spiritual and hidden work are well done with knowledge, wisdom, and reason. But if you, lacking the inner work, consider what you do as something great, without this inner work, you are nothing. You are like lepers who dress up with brilliant clothing to deceive those who see them, but bid goodbye to all such exterior works and give yourselves exclusively to interior work. Be ardently zealous for the sweat and labors needed to acquire divine virtues and for the holy struggles in order to appear to me as virgins in your thoughts your intelligence completely illuminated and you united to me the word in the word of my wisdom and that ends that uh, section there so I gave you a little sampling of uh, St. Simeon's actual text Let me close with this uh, reading here. Again, reflecting his uh, nuptial love for Jesus. Because I remembered the beauty of ir irreproachable love, and since the light thereof was found in my heart, I became raptured by its sweetness. 
and I suddenly lost the sensation of external things. I became totally detached in mind from this life, and I forgot the subject at hand. It departed from me. I do not know how to say it, and it left me to lament my own infirmity. O oh, love most desired, blessed is he who has embraced you, since he will no longer desire to passionately embrace the beauty of any earthly thing. Blessed is he who gets entangled in you out of divine eros. He will deny the whole world and will never be polluted when he draws close to any man. Blessed is he who has kissed your beauty and has delighted himself in it and out of an infinite desire for he will be sanctified in his soul by the blood and water that drip immediately, immaculately from you. Blessed is he who has embraced you with desire, for he will be changed spiritually with that good transformation. He will rejoice in his soul, for you are unspeakable joy. O oh, divine love, where do you keep Christ? Where do you hide him? He who has not kissed you, O oh Christ, as he should, and has not been loved by you as he should, perhaps runs, but he never attains his goal. Every runner who does not finish the race remains in uncertainty. But the person who reaches you or is reached by you is completely certain. And this is another uh, sampling of the intimate relationship uh, St. Simeon had with Jesus. So once again, I close with these thoughts that our ultimate destiny is not simply to make it to heaven, uh, whatever heaven is. Uh, is it a place? Is it a state? What is heaven? Some many believers don't even know what heaven is about. Well, it's very simple. Heaven is being with Jesus forever, being united with him. Amen? Amen. You know, remember the passage of the rapture where it says that we will be raptured and that we will meet Christ in the air, in the clouds in the air? And then Paul says, and then we will be with him then we shall be with him forever. You know, the Lord quickened that to me one day as I was reading it. And it just, I just couldn't stop meditating on that. And we shall be with the Lord. We shall be with him forever. So our destiny, ultimately, my brothers and sisters, is that we be with Christ forever. Today, he tells us, abide in me and I in you. That's called mutual indwelling. It's not side by side. We're not going to be side by side with Jesus. But it's going to be an in, a mystical indwelling 
where we're inside of him and he's inside of us. I cannot describe it. I, it's a mystery. But our union with him will not be some kind of an external union where like two objects touch each other. That's not the kind of union. It'll be something more awesome beyond that defies description, defies rational understanding. Like Paul says, to be absent from the body is to be present, what? With the Lord. And Paul also says, now we see dimly, darkly, as through a glass. But then we shall see him face to face. So when we're going to be with Jesus united, we're not going to be uh, standing shoulder to shoulder looking in the same direction. <laughs> but we're going to be looking at each other. Think of it. We're not going to be looking someplace and Jesus say, yeah, look out, look, look out there, yeah, I'm looking. No, but we will constantly be looking into the face of Jesus. We will be united with him. He's not going to be some distant figure. He's going to be very close to us. I don't know how close, and I cannot describe what I say. My words are limited. But it's awesome and beautiful, and I cannot wait for that moment. For that marriage. For that marriage. Uh, to, to be received into the wedding chamber. I don't have time to get into the details, but maybe later, because we have, uh, I'm, we're having John Pinaris, uh, I give a message shortly, and I have to break here now. And, uh, but Paul says, there's, been a, there's a crown prepared for me, he said. The Lord has prepared a crown for me. And also to those who love his, what's the word? Appearance. So it's a very simple answer to a simple question. Am I going to make it to heaven? The answer is, are you longing for his appearance? If you're not longing for his appearance, forget about it. You're wasting your time going to church and taking all those communions. Do you have a longing insight for his appearance? How can you long for his appearance if you don't long for him before he appears? And you know what, and I close with this. Saint Simeon, what at one of his writings says, I'm not waiting for the Lord to return because for me, he never left to return. How many of you, can you and I say that? Jesus never left, so I'm not waiting for his return. He's always been with me. Actually, St. Simeon stresses that heaven must start here. 
If heaven is not here for you, has not started, then don't expect it when you close your eyes someday. I love that. Hell starts here, but heaven starts here. Some people say heaven's here and hell's here. No, not the whole thing, but you get a foretaste here. But for St. Simeon, it said, don't expect to receive anything in heaven if you haven't got some taste of it from here. So, how wonderful St. Simeon is. How much I honor him and I respect him and I love him. I feel so close to St. Simeon. I love to identify with him and with his words. And what I gave you just a, a little sampling, but you need to get his books and, and read them. Spend time with them and see what his words will do for you. They'll help, help you in, in your walk with Jesus and transforming your lives. So, uh, Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for this uh, session this afternoon. And uh, we thank you for your servant, St. Simeon, that you... You intervened in your sovereign grace and you restored him to the church, Lord, so that we could have him as our guide and that we may continue where he left off and that we may use, Lord, uh, his, those nuggets, those golden nuggets, those gems for our own use in our titanic struggle for spiritual renewal in your holy church. And all the people said, Amen, Amen. Amen.